Good morning. My name is Gary, and uh, I'd like to welcome you all out today. Uh, I'm one of the three elders here at Greater Alton, and uh, most likely you'll see one of the three of us up here or a couple couple of the younger men. Uh, Tim is the is one of the other elders, and he does most of the speaking on Sunday mornings, but occasionally he wants a break. And so for the month of October, he got a break. And so he'll be back in November. But we've been talking this month about lessons from the life of Daniel. And we've entitled the series, Thriving in Babylon. Daniel was a captive, exiled from Israel when Babylonia conquered Israel. And he was forced into servitude for King Nebuchadnezzar as a young man, potentially around the age of 14. He was in all likelihood made a eunuch, castrated. They changed his name. They, they, they tried to force him to assimilate into the pagan culture of Babylonia, which he refused. And he thrived. If you're unfamiliar with the life of Daniel, uh, you probably at least heard a few of the stories from the book of Daniel. The two big ones being when Daniel was thrown into the lion's den and he survived. And the other was when his friends Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego refused to bow down to an image of gold because God had told them not to and they were thrown into the fiery furnace and they survived. And the book of Daniel is full of stories like that. And Daniel literally thrived in this dark world that he was forced into. And we've been talking about that the first week... We simply talked about what I saw as the underlying uh, character trait, if you will, that allowed him to to, to thrive. And it was his allegiance to the king. He was forced into service for King Nebuchadnezzar and three other kings, by the way. Okay, He finished his life out there in service to these earthly kings. But his true allegiance was to the king, the God of the universe, first and foremost. And that is instrumental in it. Uh, The next week, Alan was up here, and Alan spoke about seeing clearly and seeing reality, seeing beyond the veil that life is about more than just this physical life that we see. That there are two spaces described in the Bible. There's heaven and earth. Heaven is typically described as God's space. And there are multiple references throughout the Bible to where what goes on in heaven and in the heavenly realms has an impact on what goes on here. And we have some influence over that. And he was encouraging us to look at that. I really encourage you, if you weren't there for this two weeks ago, to go back and to listen to it. It's on our church website. And uh, it's a fabulous lesson. Last week we talked about how do you get through difficult times when tough things happen. And we talked about the fact that you are not going to avoid difficult things in life. They are part of the territory. God promises them. I used to say, He does everything but promise them. I had to revise that. No. He tells you to expect it. Plan on it. It's part of this life. And we talked about how to overcome that. How to to deal with with those difficult times. And today, guys, what we wanted to talk about is defining success. You know, success is something you hear talked about. And you probably think about 
whether you put it in those, in the, use the word success or not, you think about what you've achieved and what you're trying to achieve in life. You know, if I asked any of these teenagers up here, do you want to be a success or a failure? They would very quickly tell you they want to be a success. Does anybody plan on failing in life? Nobody does. Alright? Though they're quick to point out when somebody fails. We talk about being a success. We, we, we focus on it. We understand it. And I believe a lot of us can even evaluate ourselves without using that word. You know, we just look at our lives and we either feel good, we may say I'm successful, or we feel bad and we don't feel like we've achieved anything or we're going in any certain direction or we haven't achieved the things that we want to achieve. And I believe these are all thoughts that we all have and that we all deal with. And so guys, as we begin, I just want to ask you to think about how do you define success for your life? What do you look at and go, that is a successful person. I want success like them. Alright? You may look at that in many different ways. I believe we tend to look at success in a very narrow way. Alright? One of the, I believe the primary ways we look at success is we define it in terms of finances or in terms of career achievements. Okay, they had a, professional athletes sign multi-million dollar contracts. And as most of you know, a lot of them that sign multi-million dollar contracts are not a success. Okay, they are not a success even within the sport that they are, they, 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 they play in. Uh, multiple NFL quarterbacks. Was it Ryan Leaf? Was he the quarterback? Yes? Yeah, he was, he was drafted number one ahead of Peyton Manning. Is that correct? Years ago. A washout. Millions of dollars. Successful financially. Failure as a professional football player. We may look at other things. You know, you look at Michael Jordan. Wow, the greatest basketball player of all time is what a lot of people believe about him or debate about him. Huge money. Even in the business world, he has achieved incredible success. You know, he's made a, I believe he's made more money off the court than he made on the court. His endorsements, and he was just smart uh, about the way he did things when he would endorse a product. He said, no, you're not going to pay me a, a set amount of money. You're going to give me stock options. So, you know, a million dollar endorsement turns into literally a hundred million dollar deal for him. Very intelligent, very successful. But his marriage was a failure. And you see, guys, we, we tend to look at this and we tend to think of areas of our life when we talk about success. And you see, guys, so sometimes when we define success, it's a very tricky thing. How do you define a successful life? How do you want to feel when you get to the end of your life and you look back on it, <clears throat> what do you want to be able to point to and say, I was a success? Okay? That's what I want you to think about. Uh, a few weeks back, or a couple months back, I had the privilege. I went to a, uh, a funeral 
I was planning on going to the visitation only, not realizing there was a memorial service to follow. Uh, it was for Susie Leibarger's brother. I don't know, is Susie here today? She's not here. And uh, anyway, she asked me to stay. Oh my goodness. I was sitting with Tom Tarantino and I said, I'm tired just listening to the things that this man did. I mean, he had an impact on the people around him and had an amazing life. And you come away from a funeral like that saying, what am I doing with my life? Or is anybody going to talk about me like that? Okay, am I going to do one? Th- I mean, this guy wrote poetry. I mean, I mean, just multiple, multiple things. Like, I was tired. It exhausted me to think about how this man did everything they said he did. But it makes you think, what am I doing? And I believe, guys, to ask that yourself that question, you need to have an idea of what success is. How do you want to define it? And so guys, as we begin this today, I believe when you look at the life of Daniel, Daniel was successful. Now when you look at his life, there were things that he did not achieve. He never started a business. We have no record of him ever marrying. In all likelihood, he had no children because he was most likely a eunuch. He never started a business. We don't know about his retirement plan. Though he had incredible, uh, I don't know if wealth is the right answer. He lived in a, a plush environment. But I believe he was a success. In fact, in Daniel chapter 6 and verse 28, at the end of the chapter, it's saying, so Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. And guys, there are statements like this made all throughout the book of Daniel about him. In chapter 1, when him and uh, his friends are first thrust into service for King Nebuchadnezzar and are put through this three years of intensive training, learning the language and the wisdom of the Chaldeans uh, and the Babylonians. And then they're, they're quizzed at the end. And it says, there were none who were found to have the wisdom of Daniel and his three friends. And in fact, in matters of wisdom and interpreting things, Daniel, it says, was found 100 times better. Wow! Wow! Amazing! And you read the book, I mean, that's what it is. His critics try to attack him over and over. And he literally, he turns... He doesn't turn lemons into lemonade, you know. He turns it into a buffet. I mean, he turns the tables on them. It's amazing what happens. And guys, here's what's really cool. At the, at the end of his life, in chapter 12, he's given some instructions. And this is the way the book ends. The angel's speaking to him. He says, as for you, Daniel... Go and be faithful to the end of your life. You will surely rest, but when the end of days arrives, you will rise again to receive the inheritance allotted to you. 
You see, guys, in the life of Daniel, we see an example of how God defines success. Alright? And uh, first blank on your notes there is that God defines success as faithful till I die. You want to know how to be successful in life by God's standards. It's very simple. You can set the goal today if you have not already. And that is faithfulness till I die. And the really cool thing about that, guys, is we're going to look and dig into deeper. This has nothing to do with any of the circumstances in your life. Right here, right now. It has nothing to do with what kind of family you were brought up in. It has nothing to do with your financial circumstances. It has nothing to do with your education. It has nothing to do with how much money you now make or how much money you will make over the course of your lifetime. It has nothing to do with what your family ends up like. This has to do with the way you decide to live your life. Success, according to God, is in one word, faithfulness. And one of the things, guys, I want to talk about as we get into this is that one of the things in this world that we are confronted with is how to measure success. Is that fair to say? I mean, it is a challenge. If you can, you, you can tell, going back to professional athletes, you can tell the success of their career how? By the numbers, by the stats. How many years they play. You know? What was their batting percentage? What was their interception rate? Do they have any rings? That's what you look at. But when it comes to faithfulness to God, can I tell you there really aren't a lot of metrics like that to measure yourself by? Okay? I want to tell you, nobody's keeping attendance. God's not keeping attendance. You're not going to get the judgment day and go, well, it looks here that you attend a church 85.7% of the time. 90 is the bar you were looking for. <laughs> okay? It's not going to happen. You got on your knees to pray 50% of the time. And did not say in Jesus' name half the time either. You're out. There's no measurements like that. It's not a matter of did you invite so many people? It's not a matter of did you bring so many people even to Jesus? We find no standard of that in the Bible. Where Jesus says, hey, if you're really my disciple, you'll lead one person to Jesus every year. It's not there. Now I say this very clearly, guys, because in today's world, Christianity in America, churches in America, it is a primary thing we look at whether we acknowledge it or not. If you're reading a book or listening to a tape, and they'll talk about how many members this church has that this speaker or this writer uh, is, is responsible for. How many people attend their church on Sunday morning or on weekend services? You'll see preachers talk about how many baptisms they have a year. They'll talk about how much giving they have. How much they have in special contributions. 
And guys, I believe, back up before I just tell you, those are all evidence of something. But by themselves, they are not. And Jesus has never given us a standard to measure our success like that collectively as a church or as individuals. And so guys, I, I, I want you to realize that. I want you to understand that, guys, because the world in which we live, there's a loud and persistent call to define success in a very narrow way. And that way of defining success even permeates churches and individual followers of Jesus. I was uh, reminded, you know, we talk about these numbers. Uh, several years ago, I had a, a, a former roommate who went to be a part of a, of a large church out east. And my wife and I were out that way and we were having lunch with him on a uh, Sunday afternoon and uh, he put the, put the screws to us, so to speak. Okay, He was giving us his cell job. And his cell job was, is this a movement of God? And that church, that movement, that denomination at the time focused on numbers. Very big. Very large. Because they had great numbers. Hundreds and thousands of baptisms a year in individual churches. Alright? Large numbers of people there. And he put, is this a movement of God? And I said, well, I have to say it is. Then you should be a part of it. That movement fell apart. That movement realized and confesses very freely now that they had such a focus on numbers that they left Jesus out of the picture. Guys, I've had the same thing done to me where somebody says, you've got to have numbers. And that's just not how it is. Guys, I want to read you a passage. It's not in your notes. It's not on the screen. But it's along this line of faithfulness. It's in Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11 is sometimes referred to as the hall of fame of faith. And it, it starts out and it talks about faith is how we are called to live. And without faith, it is impossible to please God. And it goes on to talk about the great men of faith that you are familiar with. Noah, Abraham, David, and on and on it goes. And then down around verse 32, this is what he says. He says, and what more shall I say? I do not have time to tell about Gideon, Barak, Samson, and Jephthah. About David and Samuel and the prophets who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, and gained what was promised. Who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of the flame, and escaped the edge of the sword whose weakness was turned to strength and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign enemies. Women received back their dead, raised to life again. Here it goes, guys. There were others who were tortured, refusing to be released so that they might gain an even better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning. They were sawed in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. 
They wandered in deserts and mountains, living in caves and in holes in the ground. They were all commended for their faith. Yet none of them received what they had been promised. Since God had planned something better for us, so that only together with us would they be made perfect. Guys, I read that passage very clearly. Because when you when I read it, did you see two distinct groups described? Okay, two very distinct groups. One was a very visible group. They did big, mighty things. Okay, they routed foreign armies. He even includes some big names like Samuel and, and, and David and Gideon. And we know of their exploits. He just said, I just can't talk about them right now. But we know about them. You can go read about them. They're visible what they did. And then the other group, we don't know who in the honk they are. Can anybody tell me a story in the Bible of a guy being sawed in two? I don't know who he's talking about. I don't know who he's talking about. Going around in sheepskins and goatskins? I'm not sure who he's talking about. See guys, these are people, both groups of these people are described as faithful. These people are described by God as successful because they lived their life to the end being faithful to God and trusting Him. Yet we would look at that second group and go, I don't want to be successful like that. Right? Anybody sign up for that? (laughs) I did not. But guys, that's what I'm trying to tell you. Your faithfulness is not dependent upon your circumstances. And I find that incredibly, incredibly exciting. Side note, guys, if we want to get real for a moment, and this is what I'm trying to talk about here, guys, God's definition of success does not promise prosperity in this world. When you read the book of Daniel, he had a level of prosperity. He lived a plush life. Had a lot of benefits in addition to the things that he didn't like. But God doesn't promise that to us. If He did, then He owes that second group in Hebrews 11 an apology. And so guys, I I just want us to examine it real close. God's definition is, is, is to be faithful till I die. Is to live a life described as faithful. And that's not dependent on any of the circumstances we find ourselves in. Guys, I'm going to be reading a passage of Scripture. It'll be on the screen. It's in Matthew chapter 25. We looked at this passage rather in depth about a year and a half ago in the middle of our... Uh, we were preparing to have a special contribution here at Greater Alton, and we were talking about what faithful looked like. And so guys, most of you are familiar with this passage. It begins in verse 14 of Matthew 25 and uh, carries on down. Um, it's a parable. It's typically known as the parable of talents. 
And uh, Jesus is telling us this story to illustrate what the kingdom of God is like. And let's begin reading that together. Earlier, before this passage, he was describing what the kingdom of God was like. And so he continues, he says, again, it, meaning the kingdom of God, will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To one he gave five bags of gold, to another two bags of gold, and to another one bag of gold, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who had received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and gained five bags more. So also the one with two bags of gold gained two more. But the man who had received one bag of gold went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received five bags of gold brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I have gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The man with two bags of gold also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two bags of gold. See, I have gained two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Let me stop right here before I continue on, guys. That is what every one of us should long to hear on Judgment Day. When Jesus comes back, that's all you want to hear from Him is well done, good and faithful servant. That's success. Let's continue on. It says, Then the man who had received one bag of gold came. Master, he said, I knew that you were a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out and hid your gold in the ground. See here is what belongs to you. His master replied, You wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. Well then, you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. So take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has ten bags, for whoever has will be given more and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have even what they have will be taken from them. And throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Jesus continued on after this parable and, and this is what He has to say. He says, When the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the angels with Him, He will sit on His glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before Him 
and He will separate the people from one another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on His right and the goats on His left. Then the King will say to those on the right, Come, you who are blessed by My Father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave Me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave Me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited Me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed Me. I was sick, and you looked after Me. I was in prison, and you came to visit Me. Then the righteous will answer Him, Lord, when did we see You hungry and feed You? Or thirsty and give You something to drink? When did we see You a stranger and invite You in? Or needing clothes and clothe You? When did we see You sick or in prison and go to visit You? The king will reply, Truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Guys, I read those two stories together because I believe they go together. It's no accident. They are one right after the other. One is a story. It's an illustration to tell us about what the kingdom of God is like. And the other is Jesus telling us what it is going to be like on Judgment Day when He comes back. And I read those because, guys, to me it's very plain. Our goal, as I said, is to hear Him say, good and faithful servant. How do I be a good and faithful servant? How do I do that? And He explains, this is what, this is, He's given you the answers to the test here. Did you know that? When He's telling him, I, I, let's read it again. He said, for I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. And he says, anytime you do that for one of the least of his people, you're doing it for him. And guys, here's, here's, I'm, a, I'm gonna, I'm not gonna get real in depth into this. I'm just gonna tell you what it is. What he's saying is faithfulness is this. Faithfulness is taking the resources that Jesus has given you and representing His interests in life with them. That's it. That is it. It's taking the resources that He has given you. And we're going to get into this in a minute because you have resources. Do you know that? That was one of the things. You notice in the parable, all three servants got something. It said, each according to their ability. And the Master wasn't after a percentage increase. He was merely after faithfulness. The difference between the faithful servant and the wicked and lazy servant was faithfulness. One did nothing with what the king had gave him. didn't matter that it was the smallest amount. The king expected him to use those resources to represent his interests. Guys, that is what faithfulness looks like.
You know what I'm talking about? I was talking about now. Alan and I were talking earlier. I said, I, we may just make it through the introduction today in this lesson. And if you're paying attention to your notes, uh, that's where we're still at, is in the introduction. And uh, I can't make it through all this today. And so we are going to split this up, but I do want to talk about my first point here, uh, about how I'll be successful like Daniel when. And uh, then we're going to cut it off, and we invite you all back next week. I believe what we've already talked about is, is enough for one day, actually. It really is, isn't it? I mean, you take it's enough for the rest of the year, isn't it? <laughs> okay, let's just let's just take that and chew on it, guys. Honestly, as an elder of this church, if I can get everybody to to set your goal, okay, we'll call it your Halloween resolution. All right, yeah. Well, it's Halloween to make faithfulness to Jesus your goal, your definition of success and to start moving in the direction of hearing Jesus say, good and faithful servant, at the end of your life. My work's done. Anyway, guys, if you're going to be successful like Daniel and live a life of faithfulness, the first thing you have to do, I'm sorry to keep repeating myself on this, but the first thing is I pledge my allegiance to King Jesus. Okay, and, and I'll get into this a little bit more on the other points. But the other points are worthless without this. And as I said at the beginning of this lesson, I do not believe it is a fair assumption when somebody says I'm a Christian to assume they've pledged their allegiance to King Jesus. Okay, more people are looking for a Savior than for a Lord. And more people are looking for a Savior who will help them achieve the life they want than asking that Savior how they can serve that Savior. And so guys, I, I, just, I just want to emphasize that. I, 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 I beg you to examine your life and say, have I pledged allegiance to Jesus? Or am I merely religious? Guys, in Matthew 25, we just read it, and Jesus says the story. He says, again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. I do not like the word servant. I'm just being honest with you. I do not like that word. I, for the longest time, had no desire to be anybody's servant. I had no desire to have any servants either. But I did not want to be a servant. Because that is a word that describes our relationship to Jesus. We are His representatives. We are His servants. And until I accept that, I'm not pledging allegiance to the King. In Daniel chapter 6, Daniel is confronted with a situation. His critics are out to get him. He's, he is prospered so much and he's so successful within the kingdom of Babylonia of King Nebuchadnezzar no it's not Nebuchadnezzar there is it it's Cyrus I believe or Darius whichever one under the king he is so successful that his critics 
come up with a sneaky plan. And they get the king to sign a, a decree that says if anybody prays to any other god, they'll be thrown in the lion's den. And the way their laws were written, once the king signed it, it was done. There was no backing away from it. The king couldn't go back on his word. It had to be done. Here's what happens in Daniel chapter 6 and verse 10. It says, now when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went home. And in his upper room, with his windows open toward Jerusalem, he knelt down on his knees three times that day and prayed and gave thanks before his God. As was his custom since early days. Guys, it is very plain that Daniel's king, who he was serving, was the God of the universe. He was going to do what was faithful to God no matter what else was going on. Even though he knew he was signing his death sentence. He was giving his critics an opportunity to have him killed, but he was not going to stop serving the King. And guys, what I love about this is goes he was praying as was his custom since his early days. This wasn't something he decided to do just because of this law that was put into effect. This is the way he was living his whole life. God's his King. Guys, Jesus is our King. In Matthew 25 and verse 34, when Jesus is describing judgment, it says, then the king will say to those on his right. Guys, I say that because I, I, I want to emphasize this. I believe, and if you're tracking with me, you can just agree with me and keep going, but I believe we do not give enough attention to our relationship to Jesus as King and servant. And we don't acknowledge it in that way. And we don't realize that we're allegiant to the King or we're to be allegiant to the King every day of our lives. So guys, that's the first thing. If you're going to be successful, according to God's definition, and you're good and faithful servant, you have to have your pledge allegiance to the King. Now some of you in this room have done that. Most of us in the room have done that at some point in time. And so I'm asking you to examine your allegiance. Does that continue on? Is it really an allegiance to Jesus or was I just looking for a Savior? Some of you in this room may have slipped from that or fell back from that and you know it. And I'm going to humbly ask you to reconsider that. There's some of you in the room who've never pledged allegiance to Jesus. And guys, as we continue on next week, I'll hope you examine that, that lack of allegiance. And I really pray you choose to become allegiance to Jesus. We're going to pray, and we'll sing, and we'll be done for the day. Father, it is exciting. It is exciting to understand that I can be successful in this world by simply being faithful to You. 
Father, that makes my marching orders very, very clear. We're going to talk about that in the rest of the lesson next week. And Father, it seems very simple. Yet it touches every area of our lives. It touches our thoughts. It touches our relationships. It touches us at work. It touches us with our families. It touches us with our neighbors. It touches us while we're, we're just going through life. And it gives us direction and it gives us focus. Father, I pray that there are several Halloween resolutions made this year. Father, as Halloween comes about, which has nothing to do with this, it's just that time of year. Father, there are commitments made to success Your way. That, Father, there are, there are prayers offered up in the days and weeks ahead that say, Father, I just want to be faithful to You. That's all I care about. I'm having these problems at work. I'm having these problems in my marriage. I'm having these problems wherever. And I just want to be faithful to You. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.